This weekend sees the return of the Premier League, English soccer's top flight. And uh, as ever, there's some intriguing storylines going into the new season. Uh, you might recognise a, a voice, but maybe not a familiar voice as host. I am Tom Basson. This is the Sports Pro Podcast, and this is our Premier League preview show. I'm lucky enough to be joined today by Sports Pro senior writer Ed Dixon and Sports Pro features editor Sam Cart. Hello, Sam. Hello, Ed. Hey, Tom. How's it going? Um, actually, surprised we got Ed onto this, given that uh, he's probably got eyes on the championship more these days as a Southampton supporter. Yeah, good win. Good win for States to start the new season, although I imagine half your squad will be leaving by next week. I think we may have peaked in the first 20 minutes of that game. Honestly, it's the best football I've seen us play for about five years. I think you peaked with your kit release, to be honest, mate. But um, uh, (laughs) we can come on to to that later. Uh, Right. So for this year's Premier League preview, I kind of wanted to do something a little bit different because George isn't here. So we won't tell him what happened. Hopefully he doesn't listen to the pod. We can go through all the talking points in a blow-by-blow way or... I was thinking we could go with a little something a little bit different. So I'd like to play a game called What's More Likely? And, and in order to do that, I, I think we're going to just hit on some talking points. But I, the, the kind of the overall question for each of them is, is, is what is more likely? So I'm going to start at the top with, um, with a, a sort of Manchester-related topic here. Uh, the first, yeah, so the first thing I'd like to know from you guys is what is more likely? The Glazers cancel the sale of Manchester United. Or Manchester City learn of their punishment for their 115 financial rule reaches before Christmas. Um, I'll start with Sam. Okay, this sounds like a uh, twisted version of Would You Rather for the sports industry. Not playing that. I'm down with it. I like this format. Assuming you don't want kind of quick answers, I thought quite a bit about this one actually, and I'm like really struggling. I think it's quite a tight one because it all seems to have gone fairly quiet on the United takeover front in the last sort of couple of months, I suppose, which is relatively surprising given that it's been the off season there's been no sort of football on pitch matters to worry about so it's felt like if ever there was a time to wrap up the takeover saga then it would have been during the off season and that hasn't happened and I think like the fact that we've had this standoff and it has been going on for such a long time kind of suggests a couple of things to me the first thing is that basically the bids aren't where the Glazers want them to be And the second is that United perhaps aren't as attractive an asset as the Glazers thought the club would be as well. You've obviously had Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Jassim of Qatar as the two front runners, and that's been established for quite a long time. But the fact that neither of those have been able to complete a deal suggests that there's still quite a gap in where the Glazers value United, what those two bidders sort of deem United to be worth. And I think also just the fact that if you're a United fan, it's not sort of a really either way and not sort of siding with either of them I think United fans basically just want the Glazers out and someone to be in place but the fact that the Glazers haven't been able to choose either of them just sort of yeah it's not it's not a great sort of pair to be picking from I don't think personally and I think the fact that the list of bidders hasn't been longer just is reflective of the fact of the sorry state that United have sort of plunged to under the Glazers ownership um you know you talk about united being a brand that is essentially world-renowned people talk about it in the same breath they do something like coca-cola or mcdonald's in terms of like brand recognition and that kind of thing and you'd think for an investor that would be really attractive but the fact that you've got no sort of clear winner in this bidding race just suggests that as an asset it's not very attractive given the way that your glazers have run united and the longer this goes on the more it kind of feels like the glazers are going to cancel the sale or at least kind of reassess their options and perhaps sort of stay on in some capacity rather than selling the club outright so I'm sort of 
edging towards that a little bit at the moment in this particular question. I don't know if Ed thinks differently. The city process, the legal case, that could last for up to four years. I think City have got no problem with dragging this out for as long as possible. They're very happy to lawyer the Premier League into oblivion. I mean, I wouldn't put it past the Glazers to wait four years before making a decision on the current offers, given how it's been. I would probably say the Glazers cancelling the sale of United, I think, is more feasible before the City one. They're kind of two things working in opposite directions, aren't they? I mean, like the United fans will want the, that, that sale wrapped up really quickly, whereas Manchester City are trying to, to try and drag out that process. Lord Panic really doing his best work, living his best life in terms of making sure that happens. So they were kind of massive stories when they broke. United first announced they were going to part of a sale, although they were seeking alternative investment in like November last year, I think it was. And for it to be still going on now, I think I think come the end of the season in May, we were sort of talking about, okay, it's going to be weeks before they do this. It makes sense to do it at the end of the season. It's not quite happened yet. But do you think we'll even hear anything about these Manchester City charges until pretty much it happens? I think so. It's going to be one of those processes where both sides keep their counsel. It's going to rumble and rumble. I think it's over 100 financial rule breaches or alleged rule breaches, I should say. But I mean, you can really just boil them down to inflating income, deflating costs and non-cooperation. But yeah, I, th- I think the, the wheels have been set in motion. It's going to be one of those things that just rumbles away in the background. We might get the occasional update, but I would actually be surprised if we heard anything this coming season. Are we sort of leaning towards the idea that the United sale might not even happen at all? Yes. I mean, they may, they said from the start it's not necessarily going to be a sale, as you mentioned. And I think certain outlets have got a bit carried away, fans as well. But it could be perfectly feasible that um, they just get a, you know, they stay on as majority shareholders but with a minority partner, which um, would make the fans really happy, I'm sure. I think the city thing as well, there's almost there's kind of a precedent for this, right? They were charged by UEFA a few years ago now, but UEFA took so long to charge City for those particular you know, misgrievances or whatever they thought they'd done wrong that was ruled by the Court of Arbitration for Sport they couldn't be punished. So UEFA's ban got overturned. But I was looking kind of the timeline for that. It took kind of about a year between UEFA sort of launching that investigation before they handed down the punishment. So if you're looking at that, you're thinking, okay, maybe we could hear something on what's going to happen to City. But as you've kind of alluded to, more than 100 charges. That's a lot of charges for sift through. Also, it's being referred to an independent commission. We don't know who's on that independent commission yet, as far as I know. So that's kind of all got to be sorted out too. And then say something does come of it, say we hear something, there's a big difference between learning of what punishments they'd like to hand down and City actually being punished. Because you know that if the judgment doesn't go in City's favour, then City are going to appeal it. And God knows how long that period will go on for. Because City, in all this new money that they've come into over the past sort of 15 years, they haven't just been able to buy the best players. They've been able to buy the best lawyers as well. So you can sort of fully expect that if City don't get a judgment in their favour, that they're going to drag this out for as long as possible. So the framing of the question is obviously... City will learn their punishment, so not actually being punished. So you could potentially see something, see some movement on it this year. But the thing is, both of these things are two processes that have no real finite end period. They could just rumble on and on and on. Um, so it's really, really difficult to predict when something might happen. So fair play, good question, Tom. <laughs> That's the purpose of a debate like this, isn't it? But I do think that the Glazers will need to make a decision on what they're doing with United sooner than we're likely to hear about City's punishment. I don't think the Glazers can let it run on for that much longer because it does feel as if the final bids have been made. It feels like both of both Ratcliffe and Sheikh Jassim have 
tabled their final offers now. So it's now down to the Glazers to decide whether they deem either of those to be sort of attractive enough for them to sell up and finally leave United. It's a really interesting one. And also the whole, you know, Jim Ratcliffe, a guy who owns other football clubs, Shake just him. Really, like, I, I, I've never, I, have you ever seen him? Like, I've seen one picture of him. Oh, no, there's two. There's oh, two, two. There's two I pictures. At least when Jim Ratcliffe and there was this whole talk of both both uh, prospective parties being shown around Old Trafford. You had film of Jim Ratcliffe exiting Old Trafford, etc. Shake just him. It's like every single news article about him is this stock image style photo of a guy who just doesn't seem to. I don't know if that's a sort of could be a culture thing i don't know but it's like there's no <laughs> there's no public appearances of him ever well yeah like i mean he, he was a like he was a he's a bank manager yeah. in, in qatar like there's there's not pictures of him at sporting events or official functions or anything like that because like those have all been managed by the organizations he was working for he is much more low profile i guess the thing i think is kind of interesting about this process and what actually makes me think that it probably won't happen is the point you originally raised sam about the fact that the Glazers don't feel like they've got the offer they want yet. But the fact that they've dragged this out for so long, they're waiting and waiting and waiting for that offer to come in. They don't need to sell. That's the thing. No one's pushing them. Well, I mean, they don't need to sell. There's no financial reason to sell. There's a lot of sort of external pressure. I don't think we should entirely discount that. Like, I think if they were to come out and announce that they'd cancelled the sale, there would be a, a mass scale protest. And what, what does that do? What does that really mean? I mean, we, like, there's been protests at Old Trafford for years and years and years now. And it, it's not changed anything up until this point. And the other, the other reason I guess they might not want to sell is the fact that the team's doing a lot better. Everything's easier when the, the team's playing better. And look, I don't want to discount United fans and say that like they, they go quiet when the team's playing well. That's not really true, I don't think. But for the Glazers, they might look at it and go, well, if we can push it, make a challenge and push on again, then actually the team value goes up because the value of Man United always goes up. Yeah, I mean, they said it's, you know, they put this valuation on it and it ha- clearly hasn't been reached yet. But it's also worth bearing in mind that when you, if whoever, well, if they are sold, it's United aren't the finished article per se in terms of once whoever comes in, if someone comes in and they lay down their investment, they need a new stadium. Well, the stadium has to be rebuilt, has to be overhauled. There's a load of complications there. There's things like the training ground, there's additional infrastructure. So you're not just going to be you know, laying down however many billion and then you can kind of take stock and then make incremental investments. It's kind of, that's almost just a precursor for even more money they're going to have to spend. So, yeah, that's another element to consider. Yeah, I, I think that's also probably one of the reasons why the that, that offer hasn't come in at that six billion valuation is because they're like Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Dissim look at it and go, well, I'm going to need to spend another billion probably on, on fixing the stadium and more if I want to look anything like Manchester City who despite obviously we can like the, you take aside their 115 alleged financial rule breaches that's an incredibly well-run organization which like there's not really another organization maybe Liverpool perhaps Arsenal that come close to that in the Premier League with Manchester United but like in terms of structure of a modern football club aren't there so you, you're going to have to put that money in to get to that point once you've completed a takeover like from my perspective i think it's more likely we'll see a cancellation of the sale or there'll be movement on that sale and um, before we see manchester city learn of their punishment but um maybe it'd be a good time to reach a consensus on this gents i'm with you i think we're going to agree on this one uh i'd say the glazers cancelling the sale is more likely personally i would say we're more likely to hear about everton's financial rule breaches <laughs> <laughs> ever the contrarian ed dixon <laughs> topic two this one's a bit more broadcast focused so obviously we've got the premier league domestic rights sale coming up Probably the latter half of this year, we'll learn about it. The overseas ones will be rumbling away in the background, depending on the length of those contracts. But the domestic ones always the kind of the interest for us here in the UK. And 
it's kind of like a basically a three-year bellwether on the state of the UK sports broadcast market. So my question to you is, what's more likely? Amazon stuns Sky by taking the Premier League's main domestic rights package, or the Zone gets its hand on a package of Premier League games as its entry into the UK market? Well, Sky's been synonymous with the Premier League since it started, and the sort of thought of seeing it without it seems fairly... Okay, I should just clarify. Like In this scenario, Sky could still have some games, but Amazon will be the main broadcaster, so it could be like a Sky to BT scenario. Absolutely. But, I mean, the thought of Sky being superseded in terms of having the biggest package, I think would just be a shock completely. I think if you look at, you know, the past, what, 30-odd years, I think the new rules, well, with the new tender that the Premier League is going to do where they think they're going to make less packages available, if I'm right. And I think that might affect Amazon's ability to retain its current package, which may require it to spend more. I think I think I'm on the right lines there. I think you're, I think you're yeah. there or thereabouts. So basically, I think it looks like that the consensus is that Amazon may need to do something a bit different to retain rights. So it may, the, the ones that it does get, if it gets any for the next tender, may appear in a slightly different form rather than its current batch that it gets at the moment yeah so just for the like amazon currently has a package of games which is uh like there's a midweek round in december it was basically a package that was tailor-made for amazon the whole point of that 20 game package you say tom it was that it was around christmas it was like a big moment in the calendar for amazon and sort of its its commerce business so the premier league went out with it was like seven packages last time wasn't it so and there was this specific 20 game season package which was made for a streamer and made ultimately for amazon whereas this time as ed alluded to it's going to be going down so i think it's about four packages the reporting has said but more games overall yeah more games overall and each of those packages you assume is going to have more than 20 games in and that's what i'd guess at we don't know yet but that would be kind of my assumption i suppose in terms of the question I personally don't feel like there's any indication that Amazon, from like what Amazon has done in sport so far, to suggest that it would sort of usurp Sky as as the main broadcaster and go for that main package. Just kind of thinking about what it's done in other European markets, for example, in relation to football, it's always been very opportunistic. So obviously that Premier League deal was pretty opportunistic um, in Liga, where it took domestic rights. That was on the back of the media rights deal and that market collapsing and it got it got those rights at a cut price in italy and germany it's got champions league rights it's got champions league rights from 2024 in this market so it's already kind of established itself in europe in that sort of football space and also it's just done that massive deal for the nfl as well it's embarking on that relationship which feels like it's taking a lot of its focus and it's investing pretty heavily in that it's a 10-year deal isn't it that one they're investing a lot in sort of like the product for that so to me, it feels like it would be kind of out of sync with their wider strategy if they were to sort of go after the main package in this market. I think what you're more likely to see is like Amazon actually be challenged by design, which is sort of the point that we get onto the second part of this question. Because I think I said like the last time I was on this podcast when we were talking about Viaplay and their collapse, I feel like you're only really relevant in the UK broadcast market if you have Premier League rights or if you have Champions League rights. Amazon's done that. It is relevant in this market. People have, I think, started to enjoy their coverage as well and they'll be able to get some sort of Amazon's football coverage through that Champions League deal from next season. But with the zone, it's kind of at a point now where it's almost last chance saloon for them to really establish themselves in this market. And I think Shea Sagov, their chief executive, said a while ago that Premier League rights are going to be a high priority for them. So I think we'll kind of see them pursue a package very aggressively. I think we'll still see Sky 
come out as the main broadcaster because that that relationship is so so well established because they know each other so well the premier league and sky the interesting dynamic will be what happens with the other packages because you've got obviously bt rebranding to tnt sports so what's their priority moving forward they've got those champions league rights from 2024 as well alongside amazon but you know are they going to pursue the premier league rights as aggressively the zone as i just said has to make quite a big play to try and establish itself in this market so i feel like they're going to go after this quite aggressively and then as you say amazon's there now are they going to find it as attractive if like the if the package isn't as tailor-made for them maybe not but for me that kind of leans towards the second part of that question being more like the zone making a play and getting its hands on something is perhaps the more likely of those two options one of the things to think about here as well is the idea that the cost per game on this is going to be lower the Premier League might end up having a bigger fee overall, but it will have sold more of its inventory. And what that means potentially is that the zone's actually probably got the best chance of paying the lowest price per game that it would have done at any point in the last two cycles. And that's the same for Amazon. But I, I agree with you, Sam. I think it's those two who are going to be battling out for one of those lower packages and it's going to be basically who wants it more. I feel like, so just for completely personal, no insight here whatsoever, but... Amazon's probably, to borrow estate agency terms, is going to be a bit more motivated because they've already got it. And they wouldn't want to make a, take a step back, even though they've got that as Champions League. I think Champions League is, is, is a very important property. I think Premier League is way more important. And actually, if you have Premier League and you don't have Champions League, you're probably okay. But if you have Champions League and you don't have Premier League, then you're probably a lot less relevant. I don't know, Ed, if you see it the same way. Yeah, and Amazon is happy to play the long game with sports. They've made that very clear. Whereas... As you said, Sam, the zone, it's kind of not necessarily now or never, but they need, if they really are going to try and establish themselves in their home market, they need that Premier League property. So there is more more urgency for them. It'd be interesting to see if they do get a package, how much they're willing to pay, because you know we're in a far more sensitive consumer environment, which limits the amounts that you know, broadcasters are prepared, well, consumers are prepared to pay. And also streaming subscribers, they need to be mindful about churn, but also increasing subscription rates, which likely would come with design if they got the rights. So you, you think the Premier League would want to avoid having four people showing its games? Yes. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that as well. I think, that's a, I think that's a really important point, probably something we need to touch on a little bit before we move on. But yeah, I think that's really key because... The Premier League will know. I mean, like, it's not. There's no secret. We're in a cost of living crisis. Like that, you don't want to be asking people to pay more to watch their game. So there'll probably be a thing of like, okay, well, we can't give all of you this. So one of you's going to have to lose that. It's just about worked as well, hasn't it, with the setup that they have now? Um, which is why I think it'll be really interesting to see how they structure these packages. Because as I said, that Amazon one was such a small package, and also kind of, if you're a consumer, it kind of gave you a little bit more flexibility because you could get a month of amazon prime around christmas when it's going to be a benefit anyway and you could then you know cancel that subscription at the end of that for amazon they might have some people who stick on the back of that coverage and also just enjoying that wider offering whereas you get the impression that if the premier league were to offer a package like that again that just wouldn't appeal to design because design needs that year-round appeal it needs people to be paying for subscriptions 12 months of the year rather than just for that one month around Christmas. So I think like the way the Premier League structures that package will be really different to what it did with Amazon, which is why it will kind of test Amazon's real appetite to retain it, I think, because as I said, that package was so tailor-made for them. Whereas for DAZN, I think it will want as many games as it possibly can. So it will be willing to kind of make quite an aggressive offer in pursuit of that. So if we're going to settle on a what's more likely here, 
I feel like we're leaning towards the zone gets its hands on a UK patch of games over Amazon's stunning sky by taking a, a, the Premier League's main rights package. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. I just, I'm also intrigued to see where TNT sits in amid all this, um, particularly after, well, under their previous guise of BT, how much they paid for the Champions League rights. Are they going to risk maybe getting burnt again? I'm not sure. But yeah, I would definitely link to the yeah, zone. I can't believe we're all agreeing on something. This doesn't definitely doesn't happen in our morning editorial <laughs> meetings. We've got one more, what's more likely, before I move on to your predictions, which uh, we can all end up disagreeing on. Yeah, it's a matter of when, not if. <laughs> <laughs> My next what's more likely for you two. Chelsea agree a shirt sponsorship deal with a betting brand or the new deal for football sees the EFL Cup scrapped. Ed, I know you've written extensively, well, kind of both of these subjects, but more latterly the, the sort of new deal for football. And if anyone hasn't read that, go check out Ed's uh, four-part series on sportspro.com. You can find it all there. But yeah, what do you see as more likely? I don't really want to cheat or try and rejig the question to my own advantage. I think it's more likely we'll see the EFL Cup scrap, but I think what is more likely is we'll actually see the EFL Cup kind of retooled in terms of its format, which might mean cancelling two... two-legged semi-finals things like that I think given Chelsea already had to ditch a potential deal with state.com after the fan backlash I think it would be quite extraordinary if they then tried to go back in for that particular industry but I would lean towards the EFL Cup getting scrapped both I think are unlikely not that I'm looking to be dismissive of your question I think it's about time we disagreed on something basically we've been far too magnanimous so far I would say I would lean towards the latter, but I think the EFL Cup getting retooled to reflect the new deal is more likely. There's a long conversation every time this comes up, especially, I mean, Rafa Varane was tweeting the other day about the, the volume of games and how we, how we cut those down, especially with these new 10-minute-plus stoppages we're getting at the end of matches. Don't get me wrong, it is a massively increased burden on players. One of the reasons why the EFL Cup actually is quite important for the EFL is because it's like one of the big drivers in the value of their rights deal. So... It's the only time in the EFL rights deal that you get Premier League clubs that broadcasters are paying to appear as part of that Football League contract. In terms of like how they assign the value to that deal, the EFL Cup, especially the latter rounds and finals, it will get some of the bigger viewerships and be the main drivers of interest in, in that contract. So that's why the EFL Cup is like low-key quite important to the EFL. So in order for it to be scrapped, there needs to be that level of return in that new deal for football, I think, which makes it... Not more likely that Chelsea will agree a deal with a betting brand, but we are days away from the season and they don't have a sponsor, which for a club like Chelsea doesn't look great. Well, this was the thing I was going to mention. The EFL has just agreed a £935 million broadcast deal with Sky, which includes the rights to all EFL or Carabao Cup matches. And that runs until 2029, which you'd imagine adds another layer of complexity to scrapping that competition. You know, Because of that deal, it feels like that competition is more or less penciled in and for the next five years <laughs> which is yeah because I, I i personally don't think either of these things are particularly likely but given that and given the complexity of try, having to sort of rewrite <laughs> that contract and get around it and make up the value gap in that in any kind of new deal for football i feel like the chelsea one is potentially more likely but i yeah i feel like if Ch- if chelsea were going to sign a deal with a betting brand they would have done it by now well they were going to didn't weren't they? well they were going to but they didn't it's quite interesting this chelsea sort of shirt sponsorship saga has been probably one of the bigger narratives of this off season really but it, i guess it goes to show the importance of a couple of things really it goes to show the importance of being in european competition because now that they're out of that um it seems like the offers on the table of 
have been substantially lower and they're kind of experiencing what's every club outside the traditional big six has experienced over the past sort of 10 years which is that the biggest offers come from the gambling brands which yes they're financially lucrative but also come at a sort of reputational cost and that you're going to get slated for it so yeah i think whoever chelsea do end up signing with will be pretty interesting but it sounds like essentially that they're probably going to have to make do with a lower financial offer with a brand from a category that's uh, more palatable to their fan base it's maybe worth putting out some of the reported figures around this so i think their their last deal with three was worth around 40 million according to publicly available information allianz the insurance brand which has got loads of deals all the way across sport they apparently offered 20 million and stake.com were prepared to come in and match that 40 million fee which has been flat for chelsea for a while i think that was also the, the value of the deal before that too so chelsea's generally have seen a, a bit of a dwindling in, in kind of demand for their commercial inventory and the value of that it is interesting to see them as you say sam slip into that pack of teams that oh god are we going to have to do the deal with the betting brand just to get the the number that we want interestingly we haven't seen betting brands make that size of financial commitment though i suppose like because when they're making those deals with sort of i suppose what you call the other 14 clubs they tend to be around like five to ten million pounds i suppose is the figures that we regularly see reported so for state.com to be offering sort of four times that is quite interesting as well which sort of makes you wonder whether, you know, your United's and Arsenal will ever sort of field those kind of offers from from betting companies too, but obviously don't have to go down that route because they have that interest from perhaps more, not reputable, probably not the right word, but sort of... I think reputable is part of it. I mean, Stake.com, have you ever been on Stake.com? Uh, for the first time today to see if they, to see what, uh, <laughs> see if you could actually access it in, you know, in the UK. Half of these are all like, um, they're, they're Asia facing, right? So well, we can't even use them in the UK. Yeah, that's the thing. I think you, you can, you can access Stake.com. I do have, have an account now. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I haven't set up. Are you an brand ambassador? For Other them? questionable uh, betting brands are available, <laughs> listeners. Um, no, it's a... Uh, I think you can access this one, but that is part of the problem, isn't it? That's the interesting element of the gambling ban that's coming in in a couple of years and how much of an impact it is really going to have. Because I don't know when people make the argument about the exposure that betting brands get. I don't know if their main concern is the Chinese audience who are being exposed to a brand and whether sort of, you know, with a UK hat on, whether UK consumers are actually sort of thinking of that angle. As you say, some stake.com, they're not one of the big high street gambling retailers that you that we know of in this country and a lot of those don't really have those front of shirt deals not in the premier league anyway um they'll have sort of lower tier deals where they get some exposure at stadiums and things like that but i think that's another sort of point on that sort of gambling ban that's coming into effect in a couple of years yeah and chelsea's negotiating hand has also been weakened by the fact they need to comply with ffp after how much they spent last season as well so kind of every penny every penny counts and I also wonder when they do do a deal, if it'll be kind of a stopgap. So it could be for an initial one year with the potential renew, and that's at the club's discretion or the other partner's discretion. And if they do look to renew it, then presumably if they do get back to European football, if they have to increase the fee, depending on that. So I think there's a lot for them to contend with. But I personally think neither of these things will happen. The reason I lean towards the EFL Cup is because I just don't think Chelsea will do a deal with a betting brand after the state.com fallout. I mean, this may age terribly, but... The EFL Cup, I think scrapping it probably is a stretch, but the EFL, I think, is willing to overhaul the format of it in order to, if it means getting a new financial deal with the Premier League over the line. So I would expect more change there as opposed to Chelsea looking for a state.com equivalent. I just think the backlash outweighs the benefits. Who's in the bigger pickle here, Chelsea or the EFL, Ed? 
the EFL. If you bearing, if you look at the health of the clubs across the pyramid, definitely the EFL. If you factor in factor in all its teams, yeah, the EFL clubs don't have uh, <laughs> private equity backers with uh, <laughs> billions of uh, assets on well, the line. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I think um, I think the EFL is definitely in a worse spot. But I, yeah. Given that the name of this game is what's more like likely rather than what's actually going to happen, I'm still going to go with Chelsea. But yeah, the, the whole the EFL New Deal for football thing will be worth watching because that's another thing which like urgently needs to be sorted out. And if you read Ed's piece or Ed's special report, sorry, there's some really like nuanced comment within that from people operating in the EFL, um, you know, club owners, executives, fair games, a coalition of clubs looking to get teams to run more sustainably, just sort of who you know they paint a really honest and at times bleak picture of what what the reality is for some of those clubs so the sooner this new deal gets sorted out the better because i think you you only need to look at the start of the championship on friday to kind of understand the problem and why it's led to this you have southampton a team who were sorry ed but pretty hopeless last pretty pretty hopeless last season in the premier league they've gone down and kind of i know it was only 2-1 against sheffield wednesday but you look at that team and you look at the wages those players are on and they're able to sort of they're in a position where they don't even have to sell those players because of the parachute payments they're receiving and you can kind of see how the knock-on effect of that has led to a lot of clubs below them in the championship in league one in league two sort of overspending and living beyond their means so yeah i think the the broader question beyond the afl cup itself is kind of what happens with that new deal for football what it looks like and you know what incentives there are within that to make efl clubs sort of operate more sustainably which like absolutely needs to happen I know we're going off on a tangent slightly, but the, another tangent. <laughs> if you strip down what clubs in the lower leagues want, as in not ones that have just come down from the Premier League, but ones that have been in the second, third, and fourth tier for a while, they they believe the current system is not weighted towards clubs that are run well, but crucially sustainably. They believe the current the way it works at the moment is it's not conducive for them to be able to actually succeed. It's very rare that you see these clubs that operate sustainably, keep an eye on their balance sheet and don't hemorrhage huge losses while going up the divisions. And so that's what they want. They want more equal distribution, well-run clubs to be rewarded and for owners with perhaps questionable motives to be barred from it. So that's, I think, a wider, more existential problem. My worry is just that we get to a stage where there's like 24, 25, 26, 27 clubs who are basically... Premier League sides, not necessarily by name, but by like the way they exist in that every time they get relegated from the Premier League, they have the means to come straight back up, which is kind of what we saw last year with Burnley. You know, Sheffield United, another team returning to the Premier League this year, have been in there within the last few years and benefited from parachute payments. You looked at Southampton on Friday, you looked at Leicester on Sunday and Leeds, like their squads are just infinitely better than any of the other teams in that league. So my worry is that, yeah, you do get to a stage eventually where even if they're not in that top flight for a season or two the logic suggests that they are going to be back in there within a couple and it sort of just completely diminishes the pool of clubs who have a hope of of reaching that top flight and getting access to those revenues which are as i say growing all the time if the premier league gets a better tv deal again that's more revenues that those clubs have access to and the pool just keeps getting wider and it keeps inflating i think we could do a whole podcast on the existential crisis of the afl and maybe we should but um we've also i'm also very aware so part two um will feature sports play writer josh sim talking about a um a piece of data analysis he's written up for on the premier league new season that's coming up 
very shortly. But before before I let you go, gents, I, I think it's probably a good time to do some predictions. I may rehash my annual tradition of predicting the amount of teams sold in the Premier League this year. I can't confirm that yet. But, um, but what I want to know from you is um, who wins the league, who gets into Europe, uh, who's going down, and then I want one bold off-field prediction. So, um, Ed Dixon, let's start with you. Uh, City will win the league. Uh, Try and sound excited about it. Uh, the, the championship's where it's at, man. <laughs> Southampton will win the league. <laughs> oh, which we're one, talking about the Premier League, one, sorry. Yeah. City will win the league. When you say Europe, do you mean conference? Yeah, basically, yeah. Let's just go top four. Come on. Okay, fine. Let's go. All right. All right. I don't even know how many teams qualify for Europe anymore. It's yeah, it depends on <laughs> FA Cup and all that kind of stuff. Top yeah, four. okay. Give me, give me a top four then. City, Arsenal, United... Newcastle, which is exactly the same as last season. <laughs> yeah, you've really gone out on a limb there. So who's going down? Luton, Sheffield United and I'm going to say Wolves. Interesting. And uh, I want your one big, bold off-field prediction. Uh, the Premier League will listen to people concerned and conduct a full-scale investigation into Saudi Arabia's and PIF's ownership of Newcastle United. It's not going to happen. More Chelsea are more like to sign a betting shirt sponsorship <laughs> deal, but I, that's that's made in hope rather than expectation. <laughs> Sam, um, yeah, win the league. It's going to be City again, I'm afraid. Bundesliga Mac two over here, but no, I think I don't know. I just don't think they've really weakened that much. No, Arsenal beat them in the Community Shield, which they're all very happy about, but they haven't signed a goal scorer. I don't think they'll be able to do what they did last season and run them as close as they did. And I don't think United have strengthened sufficiently to to kind of go head to head with them either. So yeah, City will win the league, Arsenal and United will be in the top four. And I actually think Chelsea might sneak back in, mainly because they don't have any European commitments. Newcastle will be a bit distracted by that. I'm not overly convinced by Liverpool again, or Spurs, to be honest, especially if they lose Harry Kane. So I think Chelsea might nab that fourth spot, even if they have a sponsorship deal with stake.com or not. And then going down, I've actually got the same three as Ed written down. I think Luton, Sheffield United and Wolves. Wolves seem to be in a little bit of turmoil with their ownership at the moment. And yeah, it all doesn't seem well there. There's a chat of them changing their manager, which could actually happen by the time this pod goes out. But yeah, so I think that will be kind of the, the Southampton of this season, maybe. I think Palace are going to go down, actually. <laughs> I suppose you didn't actually say that. I said it last year and that went well, didn't it? They're my three. And your big bold off-field prediction? My bold prediction is actually, it's kind of, I suppose it's sort of related to the Premier League in a way, but also broader European football, if that's okay, if I can go sort of off-piste. Off My guess is that Saudi Arabia is going to do a sort of Live Golf PGA Tour style deal in European football, given that there are so many leagues kind of lagging behind the Premier League now. We've got, you know, we've got talk of Serie A, for example, receiving really underwhelming offers for its domestic rights. We've had, you know, La Liga has, has been opened itself up to external investment in the past with CVC. I don't think it'll be La Liga for the record, but I wouldn't be surprised if Saudi Arabia started talking at the league level about some sort of joint venture with one of the uh, sort of other members of the big five, whether France looks kind of ripe to that, Serie A, as I just mentioned. So maybe we'll see Saudi Arabia start making some moves at the league level rather than just the team as well. I'm not, I've no idea how like that would work from a governance perspective and if it would be allowed, but Hey, you said be bold. So let's see. It's certainly bold. We've had multi-club ownership, multi-league ownership. (laughs) Sounds like that would be bold. It certainly would. Right. So for the record, I'm going to go with Liverpool to win the league. Um, 
I don't really believe that, but I just want to be different. Uh, <laughs> my top four is going to be, yeah, I mean, obviously Liverpool get in there, City, Arsenal, and my final one is going to be not Brighton, no, although Europa Conference League, fingers crossed again. Yeah, my final one for the top four is United. Boring, but, you know... I'm, so, I'm so disinterested in the Premier League now. I completely forgot about Liverpool. It's a good thing we got you on the preview pod, then, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> who's going down? Yeah, Luton. I can't see past them at all. Fun, great story, and almost kind of proved the point, the, the sort of antithesis, the Sam's point about that rolling group of clubs that make up the top flight, and who else can break into it? Still nice that teams like Luton can. Sheffield United, yeah, again, uh, another one that I think are probably right to go down. Yeah, I've just, I, I think Fulham could be in for an interesting bump. I predicted this last season and I think they lose Mitrovic then again. They're a good team, but they're only a couple of incidents away from being pretty weak. My bold off-field prediction is not going to be the number of teams sold this year. I'm going to say by the end of the season, Manchester City will have had at least one of their league titles stripped off of them. Ooh. That is my bold end of season not prediction. Even though you said that the Glazers <laughs> cancelling the sale was more likely. <laughs> Hey, look, that was, I mean, that was realistic. This is being bold. <laughs> I think a points deduction is probably a backdated one's more likely, but we will see. I think we can all agree, though, we'd love to be proved wrong about Luton getting relegated. I, I certainly would, yeah. Although I do hope we absolutely batter them on Saturday. I think we can also all agree not to listen back to this podcast in eight months' time to <laughs> revisit these predictions. <laughs> all right, gents, uh, that's probably a good place to leave it. Um, up next will be Josh Sim. Right, before we hear from Josh, I just need to tell you a little bit about the Sports Pro Commercial Guides and how you can get access to them. Now, the Sports Pro Commercial Guides are amazing resources for the industry. They're packed full of information on not just like the, the, the teams, the sponsors, the broadcasters, but also a load of other data around uh, consumer trends and overseas markets, all that kind of interesting stuff, which should help you be better at business. If you are not a Sports Pro Plus member, and these currently are only available to Sports Pro Plus members, if you're not a Sports Pro Plus member, don't worry. You can get access to Sports Pro Plus, the top tier, for free for a whole month using the code EPL23 for your first month free. So that's EPL23. If you log on to sportspromedia.com, Find the sign-up page and use EPL23. You'll be able to get access to our commercial guides and all of our premium content on the site. Now let's hear from Josh. Josh Sim, welcome back to the Sports Pro Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. You've got a very interesting new feature that you've written this week going up on the site. I believe it came out yesterday, if we're speaking on Thursday. Digging into the data around the new Premier League season. I thought perhaps we could start with one of your talking points around the Premier League's central sponsorship portfolio. It's not actually something I think we hear masses about. It's something that the NFL, for example, does far bigger deals. We hear, I think, from the Premier League changes its ball, which is going to happen in 2025. But you've spotted something that could be a bit of a sign of things to come. Do you want to maybe just talk me through that? So, yeah, thanks, Tom, for having me. In terms of you talk about league-wide partnerships that the Premier League has, it's a relatively smaller roster compared to leagues like the NFL and the NBA. There's about 10 partners. And so rare have become the latest league-wide partner. They uh, signed a deal earlier this year, which is worth 120 million pounds over four years. This to me was quite interesting because if you look at some of the other partnerships the Premier League has with the likes of Nike and Barclays, Panini, those sponsors are paying the league a smaller annual payment compared to so rare. So so rare are paying about 30 million a year for their licensing deal. Nike, in comparison, are paying about 10.34 million, which is about a third of what SoRare are paying. Now, 
whether this is a sign of things to come is going to be pretty interesting. But it speaks to, I guess, how valuable of a commodity the Premier League is and how it could potentially leverage its sort of growing commercial value into these deals and renewals and maybe new partnerships and potentially landing itself a bigger revenue windfall than it has seen before. Yeah, it's one of the kind of quirks, I think, of the Premier League when it comes to the it's, it's commercial rivals. So, like, as you said, I mean, the NFL, for example, can charge 50 million to, to sponsor its halftime show and deals that way, way, way to pass what the Premier League does. I, I guess part of it is the fact that there's more marketing done around the NFL broadcasts by those partners, too, which the Premier League is less in control of here. But, yeah, that disconnect is something that I think probably as we kind of move through another cycle of sponsorships that will perhaps see change a little bit and you're right so rare could be the the first of many to start going into that uh, hundreds of millions of pounds bracket now looking a bit further down at the club list so we've been looking at the league level yeah you, you, you spotted something in the data around the valuations of premier league teams which i think is actually really it's a really keen point we think about the premier league in terms of the big six so that's um manchester city manchester united liverpool arsenal Tottenham and Chelsea probably not in that order but a, a combination of that of that pack I guess a major major narrative has been the involvement of uh, Saudi Arabia and the, the PIF in recent years but is there is there some sort of figures to back up the fact here that Newcastle could be joining that group yeah so we on the commercial guide we have a list of sort of the two-year value increases for each team uh, and Newcastle had the highest at 63%. They've grown their value over the last two years. And yeah, as you said, it's sort of backed up. You see the sort of increased commercial deals that are incredibly lucrative shirt sponsorship deal with Seller, the Saudi events company. So yeah, they definitely look like the most primed to sort of break into that top six, if you like. What I found interesting was that Fulham was second at 58%. And that to me is interesting because Fulham have probably one of the smallest grounds in the Premier League. Um, you know, obviously they're based in London. There is that sort of attractive factor, but it's quite interesting to me that they are managing to sort of increase their value quicker than say some other teams who have sort of bigger stadiums and maybe bigger fan bases. Is that not though more to do with the fact that a couple of years ago they were playing in the championship, at which point your evaluation immediately drops and, and, and then and Newcastle by kind of contrast actually, they probably stepped up by the fact that they're now in the they're in the Champions League. They're in the very top tier of the sport. So is that a factor there? Do you think potentially? You know, like as as you said, and as we're seeing sort of seeing with some of the other promoted teams, you know, it does open up your commercial portfolio to partners that you obviously couldn't attract while in the Championship. But yeah, it, it's just I guess it's pretty interesting. And obviously, they had a very solid season last season. They obviously look to expand it. They're obviously owned by Tony Khan, who obviously owns the the Jaguars. So. It's just an interesting sort of thing to put out. I mean, and in third, by a little bit of distance, was Aston Villa, who, again, you talk about they've qualified for Europe, so they've got European football now. Obviously, Villa Park is a quite a marquee venue, at least in the Midlands. So, yeah, just an interesting sort of thing to see about which sort of teams maybe are growing at a faster rate than some of these big six who we obviously know are going to be at the top and will likely be at the top for a very, very long time. Yeah, and when, I mean, there's kind of some interesting key indicators there and I think the one that's been picked out or you could pick out is quite tangible, but it's the brand on the front of the shirt, right? Like, so Newcastle have gone from a, a shirt sponsor uh, with a betting brand, which they've down called short and they've agreed to deal. I mean, it's, it's no surprise that seller events company, but very heavily linked with the Saudi Public Investment Fund. But again... These deals have to pass through a Premier League check to ensure they reflect true market value. And 
it seems like we haven't heard anything to the contrary that Newcastle Steel would sell her, which has been reported at around 25 million a year. So more than double what they got previously looks looks kind of set to pass that check. Yeah, I, I guess for me, that's kind of interesting. And that probably goes into those like heavily increased valuations, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there's obviously allegations about Manchester City that they sort of have inflated some of their uh, marketing deals with companies who are tied to their ownership group. And you could sort of see maybe that effect also happening with uh, Newcastle and the PIF uh, affiliated companies. But also I think Newcastle, given the sort of scale of the stadium and the, the scale of the fan base as well, I think there is obviously scope to sort of attract beyond just PIF affiliated companies, but to companies around the world, given its sort of growing popularity. I do think your point's valid. I'm also curious to see how they sort of expand their commercial portfolio beyond that to sort of get people to look away from these allegations of that inflated sort of sponsorship deals. Mm. Um, that kind of actually moves us quite nicely onto, onto the last thing I wanted to touch on, which is um, betting and betting share sponsorship deals. We covered quite a lot of this in, in part one. But um, heading into the new season, 18 of the 20 clubs have signed up their own share sponsorship deals. Chelsea, Nottingham Forest haven't. But betting continues to be the dominant category when it comes to those. Interesting considering where we're going to be heading in a few years, right? Yeah, it does feel as though Premier League clubs are sort of trying to sort of use up that that cash cow that is sort of betting sponsorships before the in, incoming ban. Yeah, eight eight clubs have signed betting brands as their main shirt sponsor. It would have been nine had Chelsea's deal with Stake had gone through, but as we know, that sort of fell through. Again, it's a it's a pretty interesting sort of indicator of where Premier League clubs feel they can get their bang for buck, I guess, for the, what is probably the most coveted sponsorship inventory that a club can offer other than maybe stadium naming rights and yeah it's quite stark that sort of the league is reliant on on these betting brands sort of stepping up and providing these this funding i think the only other sort of categories to come in in the multiples would be financial i think there's about four or five and travel which is only two so yeah it does I mean, it poses questions as to how the industry will sort of evolve away from betting sponsorships, given that they're still pretty reliant on it, even though everybody knows that this ban is coming. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how... And I, I, we understand a lot of these betting shirt sponsorship deals about one or two years, very short term, um, which is a nice stopgap. But obviously, you know, going, at, going forward, it'll be interesting to see how they transition away from relying on these bookmakers and betting companies for these deals. Uh, yeah, when you look at this, I think kind of one of the standouts in this area, and it kind of goes to what I was talking about previously, is Aston Villa. Aston Villa have just agreed their shirt sponsor to deal with the betting brand. They previously were very happy to announce and tell everyone when they were uh, sponsored by Kazoo that they, they weren't doing this anymore. But now, faced with the stark commercial reality of missing out on that key revenue, they've gone back to the betting brand for at least for one season. It's worth pointing out, by the end of the 25-26 season, they will no longer be able to do this. They'll still be able to do deals with gambling companies. They'll still be able to sell them advertising holdings. They'll still be able to sell them sleeve sponsorships and general club partnerships, but they just won't be able to be their front of shirt sponsor. But Aston Villa, who are a club that, as you said, have increased their value, are going to be in European competition next season. They've still needed to go down that avenue of doing the deal with the gambling brand in order to get the funds that they want. Aside from gambling and like shirt sponsorship uh, and in that whole sector, were there any other trends that you saw at the bottom end of those categories? Is there anything, anyone, any new entrants or any kind of surprising deals when it came to this, uh, to, it came to the, the shirt sponsors for the upcoming season? The other one that's quite interesting, I think, is Sheffield United. They've 
on the very eve of the season, in fact, have signed with a Dubai-based financial broker uh, to be their shirt sponsor. And they've replaced Randox uh, as their main shirt sponsor. And it's quite interesting. Randox, of course, famous for uh, everyone's COVID tests a few years ago. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, it's interesting because Randox was said to have a first refusal option. Uh, in terms of extending their uh, branding on, on the Sheffield United, yeah, they, they had. A, I think it was a three-year deal, and it hadn't yet expired. But yeah. yeah, and in the case of promotion to the Premier League, they would have that option. But it speaks to, I guess, Sheffield United realizing that they needed to find a stronger or larger revenue stream, and having to go out to market and find and that gap in value, I guess, that they can get from uh, from being in the Championship to being in the Premier League. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, looking at. Uh, they've obviously been a team that's been under a bit of financial cloud. We know that their owner, there was sort of rumors about a takeover that didn't really come about. So they're obviously looking to find, you know, a stronger revenue stream from the championships of the Premier League. And it speaks to that discrepancy between the two divisions, as you said, that, you know, that they had to go out to market and find, find a new partner. You know, it'll be interesting to see if they can sort of expand their commercial portfolio even further than that. But again, it's a clearly a, a gap that ha- that they felt they needed to fill, for sure. And also hedging their bets by signing that one-year deal as well. The idea that maybe they might not be in the Premier League next season. It's the, the perilous nature of the promotion relegation system for you all-American listeners. Uh, right, um, Josh, before I let you go, I've already had these from Sam and Ed. I want your predictions for, for this season. So, who wins the league? Who finishes in the top four? Who's going down? And I want one, one big, bold, off-field prediction. I'll say top of the league, I mean, it, it's hard to bet against Manchester City. I know they've lost a couple of squad players, but they've also signed, in my view, one of the best young defenders in the world, and they're just a machine. Uh, they will be joined in the top four by Arsenal, although I don't know if Arsenal will finish second. I kind of have them in third just because of the their squad will have to just get used to the new signings. I'll put Man United in there. Honestly, it's a bit of a dart throw, but I'll just put Liverpool in there, assuming they get themselves back into sort of pre-last season form. In terms of going down, <laughs> apologies to Sheffield United fans uh, who have just, yeah, I, I think they're going down. I would put Luton down as well, despite the love I have for their for their stadium and seeing sort of the Premier League's mighty go to uh, Kenilworth Road. And I will put Wolves in that category as well. Uh, and in terms of my big, bold prediction, so I will happily take credit last year in declaring that Roy Hodgson was going to make his Premier League return. He did, albeit not at Fulham, which I thought he was going to go to. But okay, that but that is an on-field prediction, Josh. I want an off-field prediction. Uh, I mean, I believe that Newcastle will sign a very splashy deal with one of Nike, Adidas or Puma. Okay, there it is. We have Josh predicting City are going to win the league. Uh, they will be joined in Europe by Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester United. Going down is Luton. Sheffield United and Wolves and before the end of the season Newcastle will have ditched Castor for a major deal with Adidas, Nike or Puma who they actually had a deal with previously which they didn't like and got rid of so we'll see how that plays out. Josh Sim, thank you very much and for anyone wanting to read Josh's work you can do his excellent Premier League stats breakdown piece is live on the site now as I said anyone wishing to access our premium content can do so for free for the whole month by using code EPL23 and that's it from the podcast this week hope you enjoyed listening Uh, Josh thank you very much for joining see you all next week. 